Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is quell. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. and welcome to the season three premiere of the computer resume podcast the show covering the entire star trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old i'm your host writer comedian mr todd a davis she's not french but she has an amazing sweater collection she is one half of the where's beverly podcast it's adrian yeah thanks for having me oh thank you so much for being on with me this is uh you know for uh, for folks who don't know, um, Adrian Sophia from the Where's Beverly podcast, uh, your recording partner is stateside, but you are not. You are actually uh, across the pond, as they say. Yes. So um, Sophia is in Canada. She is a fancy Canadian. Um, I am definitely an American, originally from Texas, but I live in Germany. That's awesome. I'm sure. Is there is there a big Star Trek fan collective over there, Germany? There actually is. So I actually really? went to <laughs> surprise. No, it's not surprising. Germans are really nerdy <laughs> in the best way. In the best way. Yes, I went yes, to there is a really huge Star Trek convention or sci-fi convention called FedCon really? that is in western germany every year it wasn't last year because of the pastrami but i actually went probably four years ago and saw most of the cast of tng and lost my collective you know what oh so cool oh yeah i'm so jealous we're uh the wife and i actually just uh you know just after the new year went and got um uh we went and turned in our applications for our passports so eventually we are going to uh, trek out from the uh, from the uh, the lower forty eight and uh, see see some of the world before before it all crumbles or turns to ash. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, and we're looking forward to it because I think we're coming up on. Um, oh gosh, we're uh, we just had our uh, we just had our thirteenth anniversary, so we're I think we're planning on. 15th i think we're planning on hitting the uk um i've got some comedian friends in the uk so i'm gonna try to get with them and maybe do at least one show over there so i can sort of check that off my list of cities i've performed in but uh yeah so um let's get right into it you uh before we started rolling we were talking about we were talking about a lot of things um but we we discussed that uh your husband Mm -hmm. is a uh He's a theologian, like studies religious, uh, religious texts and things of that nature. And then I asked you if you had seen, uh, there's a book out there, which the book was the catalyst for the podcast uh, of the same name, The Gospel According to Star Trek. Have you seen, heard any of that? I have not, but I'm super interested to hear more. 
it's it's really fascinating i you know I've, unfortunately i don't have this pulled up in front of me but uh one of the hosts is the author of the book and uh they they get into it deep, deep metaphors uh throughout the entire narrative all the way back into gene roddenberry's own personal life and his personal beliefs at, all the way through to uh, Discovery and Lower Decks and Picard and all yeah. of these things. So, so that's really interesting to me because I know that Gene Roddenberry, and I may be wrong about this, so you can correct me or other people can. I do not think Gene Roddenberry was a fan of organized religion at all. Yeah, that, I, that much I do know. Yeah. And so I know in the earlier shows. And in fact, we had actually, I'm, I'm really not trying to hide my own podcast, I promise. But um, no, one of the things please, that we talked about, like. one of the things that we've talked about on um, Where's Beverly is that Picard, Star Trek Picard has a surprisingly lot of um, throwbacks to sort of religion or faith or people being zealots, conversion experiences and things like that. Things that you might not have seen in earlier iterations of the Star Trek universe. And that's really interesting. And I actually really like it because I think that religion and faith can be portrayed. We can criticize it, but we can also respect it. And sort yes. of, and it is something that does exist in the world. So we can yeah. also portray it. Um, and so that's, that's interesting that I'm, I'm just, Oh, the gospel according to Star Trek. That's just, Oh, I'm well, adding that to my list as uh, you know, and I I've, I've asked a couple of folks, but uh, are, is your, is your husband also sci-fi fan? Like, is he into, is he, does he have the nerdy side or is that all, does he fulfill that all through theology? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's really funny. Um, mostly he fulfills it through theology because he's always, you know, saying, oh, well, the actual Greek translation of this word would be this, or, you know, uh -oh. he's, he's that kind of person. <laughs> Um, he's really into video games. So he loves things like Dark Souls and The Witcher and Zelda and things like that. Cool. He, I got him to start watching Star Trek with me, I think three years ago. He had really never watched it. Really? Um, he'd seen an original episode here or there with his dad, like most, most people, as you do. And, but I had, I mean, I watched TNG. I started watching TNG right after it went off the air. Sounds familiar. Um, yeah. <laughs> Saw first contact in the theater. It was oh. awesome. Um, but it was something that I'd sort of left behind for a long time. I think mm. because I thought it was really nerdy. I, I don't, I don't know. I just sort of went through this phase where I was like, ah, <laughs> uh, I'm too cool for that now, but I wasn't, I was not too cool for that now. <laughs> and, um, but I ended up getting him to watch. I showed him season five's cause and effect. Okay. Um, yeah. the time, the time loop episode. Yep. It's, it's probably, it's, it's a really good one. Yeah. And I said, if you don't like this, you don't have to watch any more with me. And I was strategic and he really liked it. And we watched, he watched all seven seasons of the next generation with me and wow. loved it. Wow. It's yeah. Always, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, and I'm sure you're probably, uh, well aware. And I've, I've, I think I've had this discussion with folks before with Star Trek, because it is so expansive um, and there's so many places that you could start, it is kind of like Doctor Who where, you know, you have to be really careful about where you start, but the best thing to do is to probably pick a show and start there because I feel like it was, there's been a Star Trek in pretty much every generation, for lack of a better word, uh, in every generation that it really spoke to that generation or it spoke about that generation. 
Um, actually, probably both. You know, I've talked a lot about how TOS very much reflected the times of, you know, it was a big deal that not only a woman, but an African-American woman had the captain's ear quite literally. She was on his shoulder the entire series. Um, and then in front of the captain, we had a Russian sitting next to a Japanese pilot not far removed from World War II and then not far away from the Cold War either. That was a huge, huge deal. And, uh, you know, once we get into next gen where now the ship has a counselor, has a therapist, and we've, we've brought in more species, more races. We're talking about a lot of things that uh, are prevalent in uh, society at that time. There was a lot more um, inclusion of uh, the LBGTQ community and albeit I'll say softly uh, talking yeah. about things of that nature, but at least they kind of didn't shy away from it. You know, they, you had to kind of read between the lines and really listen to what they're saying and really pay attention to what they're talking about. But still about. subversive for the time, very yep. subversive for the time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, and I think it's uh, the franchise as a whole has definitely continued with that tradition, uh, especially now, especially looking at things like Discovery, where um, not only in front of, but behind the camera, there's so much diversity now. And I think that's wonderful just because we are opening this up for so much, for so many new types of stories and different ways to tell them, not just from a writing standpoint, not just from an acting standpoint, but from directing and Every aspect, you know, there's a lot of things being worked into that we're just not privy to. Like, look, if you get those like close-ups of the different textures and different designs that are in all of the costumes, you're going to see a plethora of different cultural influences from everywhere. And, and that stuff is so great. It's just one little, one little tiny bit of this huge thing that has uh has been going on for i mean it's we're pushing 60 years here and if and, yeah. you know not too far away but uh so you're i mean we talked a little bit before and uh that you and i are all almost the same age we're we're pretty close in age um so i imagine as you've said you know you're a tng kid uh one of the things that uh tng was uh formative for me was um with a, I took notice of Deanna Troy at a very young age. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> uh, was there was there something like that for you? Did did you know in those formative years of watching Star Trek, did something click for you in terms of uh, you know, did it shape your life in any particular uh, way, shape, or form that you can actually pinpoint? Yeah. So I think there's two things that really clicked for me. And I don't think I realized that they clicked for me until I was much older. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing was, so I'm not going to get too much into it, but I grew up in a place that was very conservative okay. um, and very, very white, very, very white. Okay. Yeah. So we'll just say that yeah. um, I was not exposed to really anyone that was different from, from me at all. And that was just the way it was. And we didn't have the internet at the time. And it was just, you know, it was rural Texas. That's, it is what it is, or it was what it was. Um, and so 
to, and, and there was a lot of rhetoric about people who were different from me, right. That I heard yep. growing up. Um, and that was the norm in many cases. And so to watch G and G and see Michael Dorn and Lovar Burton, yeah. when I was probably 10, 11 years old, T and G started, um, subverting or forcing me to, or, Oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, I don't even think I was aware of it, but I think I started to subconsciously question the narrative that I had been fed nice. about people that were different from me Yeah, because how could these things be true? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because the only experience I had with people who weren't white were Michael Dorn and LeVar Burton. And, you know, I love them. Yeah. Right. I mean, and so I think that was hugely important for me in ways that I didn't fully understand until I was much older. And I can only imagine how important that representation would be for people who were actually black or people of color Yeah, because it was life-changing for me as a white kid. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And so that, that was a huge, huge deal for me. Um, and then also I, I, the first Star Trek I'd ever seen was the original series and I watched it with my mom, but I didn't really get into it until I got into TNG, but I remember thinking, oh, this is so cool. Lieutenant Uhura is like, she's the girl and she's on the bridge. Girls can be, you know, girls can go to space too, you know? And, and that was was a big deal because we weren't seeing it. We weren't seeing it at the time. Um, And so then to see, and I've talked about this before on our own podcast, I'm pro if if you've listened to both, you're going to hear, you know, repetitions, but um, (laughs) Deanna Troy as someone who was a very like empathic and sensitive oh, and yes. yet valued mm-hmm. member of the crew was hugely formative for me yeah. as someone who I would probably say that I'm like a highly sensitive person. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I'd always been sort of believed that my feelings and my emotions and my ability to key into other people's feelings and emotions was a bad thing. And so then to see this character who it's basically her, it's her superpower in a lot of ways. Um, and she's valued. She has a place here. She has a place at the table and also she dressed pretty. And, 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 and so, you know, (laughs) I, I, I think in the nineties, we started really in the nineties, we started seeing the the quote unquote strong woman character Mm -hmm. who was very often written as a man. And then they hired a woman to play. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And in a lot of cases, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. There are all kinds of ways to be a woman, but as someone who is very sort of traditionally feminine, it was really awesome to see this, this character. And I know that Deanna Troy gets a lot of hate sometimes and a lot of flack from people, but she was, she's a feminist icon and she and her character basically showed me it was okay to be like I am. And, and I still think about that today when I still think sometimes and I'm in certain situations and I think, you know, Deanna Troy felt this way and, and, you know, she was fine. And, and so, yeah, I think that's yeah really, I mean, also it was just a fun show, but right. I think those things really, you know, those things are important to you when you're a kid and you, but you don't even always know why. Right. So, sorry. I, I, I talk a lot. I'm sorry. No, no, but, no. That's great. I, yeah, I think a lot of folks, uh, you know, latched on to different characters for different reasons. Um, I love the dynamic of 
folks, you're going to get a lot of TNG in this episode. <laughs> so just buckle up. Um, I, I really loved the dynamic and any E it even got pointed out in one episode specifically where uh, the dynamic between Jordy LaForge and data, I always loved that dynamic. And, you know, we get to see it play out a couple times, you know, specifically I'm thinking of uh, elementary dear data yes. where data, you know, the, the, Data has all the know-how and all that stuff, but at the same time, he, he lacks that humanity. Whereas Jordy LaForge, also very capable, brilliant, but he has trouble, he can't see. <laughs> Without his visor, he's blind. Uh, and someone actually pointed it out, you know, the sort of interesting uh, scenario of a blind man teaching a robot to paint. And <gasps> that was always really fascinating because it brings to light uh, you know a bunch of different things to consider about well what is color well what is shape what is you know how are you perceiving these things differently from me uh, I have a buddy of mine who uh, he's he's very much into different types of art he is colorblind uh, so when he and I view a piece of art I, I always I take a second to look at him looking at it and just kind of reconcile that in my own brain of like, he's not seeing the same thing I am, but for what, for, from what he's seeing, it's exactly what I'm seeing, but we, we both have different interpretations of it. And, you know, coming back to what you just said about seeing things differently uh, in terms of race and uh, you know, sexual um, uh the the hierarchy of the sexes we'll we'll say um and, and if i folks if i screw up uh you know terminology please just bear with me a lot of this is coming off the we're both off, off almost the gen x so give us a break we yeah. may say the wrong thing sometimes but we're 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 learning we're we learning. are we are doing the best that we can <laughs> as respectfully as we possibly can so please bear with us but uh, you know a lot of that stuff and then we get to see them you know as Holmes and watson where now the man who has less humanity is actually the smarter, more powerful one in that particular scenario. And just watching them, watching that dynamic was always fun for me. I always loved the idea. And I can't remember where I first heard this theory or you know, whatever you want to call it, that Picard, Riker, and Wesley are three versions of the same person. So oh. you, you are seeing... Will uh, will will eventually become Picard, but he started as Wesley. So they are kind of, in a sense, uh, we've talked a lot about religion tonight. Uh, you will essentially see them as a trinity, sort of a father, son, and Holy Ghost, whoever wants to take that role, however you want to assign those roles. Um, but I always loved that dynamic of, and especially in those earlier seasons where Wes and Will are very much, Wes is without a father. So he finds this father figure in Will Riker because he, for some, because Picard's kind of a jerk in those earlier seasons, um, he can't connect with him because Picard, because it causes Picard too much pain because it reminds him of the friend he lost and his other friend who lost her lover and her partner. And so it's too painful for him, but he, he finds that father figure in Will Riker who will eventually become Picard. And then Picard, as he, you know, slowly starts to open up and warm up to everyone on the ship, you know, we see him become that 
father figure. You know, he still commands very much. I've I've spoke at great length about the um, archetypes of the different captains. Uh, Kirk to me has always been the pirate, um, whereas Picard has always been very much the soldier sailor, and uh, Ben Cisco is definitely. I mean, quite literally on the show, uh, the character, um, but he's the father figure. Uh, sort of wrangling these, you know, all right, kids, quiet down or I'll turn this entire spaceship around, you know, <laughs> and, but then uh, Janeway and I've always, I've always uh, for a while there, I was referring to Janeway as the survivor. Um, but to me, it's deeper than that. I, so I recently changed from referring to her as the survivor. I've refer, I'm referring to her as the shepherd where no matter the storm, no matter the odds, no matter what wolf is at our gates, I'm going to get this flock back to the back to the barn, back to the home. I, we're we're going home. Everybody's come. We're all going with. Um, so you know, looking at the archetypes on next gen, you get to see those interesting things develop. And looking at Worf and how he's trying to reconcile his Klingon heritage with human raising while working in Starfleet and being he's a single guy like at one point Q brings a Klingon woman and I think it's Jordy who's just like Worf do you think this is sex <laughs> and he's like yeah, yeah. This, this thing is sex and it's like oh yeah. okay there's a lot we don't know about Klingons <laughs> but I mean some of those relationships are just really really fascinating to me and your answer was much better than mine was <laughs> Deanna's real pretty. <laughs> but, but that's also important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Will Riker said my um, early and long lasting love of facial hair on men. So, <laughs> you know. Um, Nobody wears a beard like Riker. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, one of the first things I did when I got out of law enforcement was, you know what? I'm going to get real boy haircuts and, and, and I'm actually going to grow this thing. Uh, and look my age, because when I worked on the force, I was always shaving my head and had to be clean cut. And I looked like yeah. I was about 12 years old. <laughs> so now I actually look my age. Um, but yeah, once um, and I was concerned that the wife would, you know, it would be scraggly or, you know, she would, uh, you know, it would hurt her when I kissed her or anything like that. But, you know, at one point I came home completely shaved. You know, I had gone to the barber and just take it all off. And uh, came home completely, sh and she was heartbroken. I was just like, "Yeah, oh, so we've grown to like the beard, have we?" <laughs> yeah, no. See, that's the thing. Um, my husband accidentally got his beard shaved off once. Like the the barber didn't. I, I don't know what happened. There was a miscommunication, oh, no. and and he came home, and I mean, and I had to tell him like, "No, it's fine." You and he did. I mean, he looked fine, but I was like heartbroken because before we were even dating he was complaining about shaving. We were really just friends for a, a good, a good while. Yeah. And I said, why don't you just stop shaving? It looks good. The man never shaved again. It's except for that one time that it go. accidentally happened. So it's been 15 years. Nice. It, the beard stays. So, yeah. yeah. I, I have a very basketball shaped head, so I have to, I have to get the hair to go up a little bit like Ross Geller from friends. And yeah. then I have to draw, I have to grow the beard down as much as I can just to give myself, to give my head a little bit of length there. Uh, but the, the things the we do for beauty. I know. I know it. <laughs> 
Um, but, you know, talking about different stereotypes on the show, let's get into Enterprise a little bit, because while this is a unique show in the franchise and it came much later in production, you know, it, it's at the end of what I call the TNG era, the TNG era, of course, being TNG, DS9, Voyager and Enterprise. Um, they were still dealing with some very, they handled a lot of things in a very problematic way. And I think one of the areas that they didn't really handle very well, a couple of the areas that they didn't handle very well was the idea of um, death and the idea of, um, I'll, I'll say, I'll say topics of a sexual nature. Mm-hmm. We've, we've actually discussed on the show uh, more than once um, how to Paul was uh, depicted as very, um, was very sexualized on the show and how that was handled in terms of the narrative as it plays out. Uh, We're talking about two episodes today. One deals with death and the other one uh, has a large part dedicated to the um, Vulcan uh, practice of uh, Ponfar and, uh, and how that affects to Paul. Um, how, how did you feel just overall before we get into like real super detail, how did you feel about, well, first of all, let's, let's take a step back. What was your initial thoughts watching enterprise? What did I subject you to uh, something you hadn't experienced before? Cause a lot of people have been like, Oh, I'm a fan of star Trek, but I've never watched enterprise. You did. You did subject me to something that I'd never <laughs> seen before. So I watched my first episode of enterprise today. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so I actually started the first episode I watched was the one where, Oh, what's her name? I, I think Linda Park is the actress. Yes. Uh, she plays Hoshi Sato. Hoshi. Okay. So I'm going to get the names wrong because that's okay. I've, I've seen like three episodes where she gets sort of lost in the transporter beam for a bit. Oh yes. Um, I just, I, I really like transporter things. I don't know. So I was like, I'm going to watch this one first. And I yeah. thought, okay, this is not as bad as everyone says that it is, um, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and then I watched the two episodes that, that are on this, um, the docket for today. Um, in general, that was sort of my response. I have only really heard negative things about enterprise. And yeah. so I was really pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. It in many ways does not feel like Star Trek to me. You're not the first person to say that. <laughs> and I think Discovery, I think people say that about Discovery a little bit as well. It's not that it's bad, but it just, it feels different. Yeah. But that's not a bad thing. Um, what I liked about Enterprise though, and I was surprised about it, mm-hmm. I liked that it's set in a time that is close enough to our time that it feels really relatable. And it's it feels like even their uniforms yeah. Are very just like Air Force. They have pockets. They have pockets. pockets. Yes. They pockets. have pockets. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, they feel very Air Force. There was a scene yeah. in the first episode, and I thought this reminds me of I Dream of Genie. There's like all the wood paneling, the air, the navy blue <laughs> Air Force uniforms. Mm-hmm. And so I really liked that. I liked that it felt like, okay. This is the natural progression of people. We haven't quite figured it out yet. We're not really too Star Trek, but we're getting there. And I also like the messiness of it. Sometimes I think some of the later Star Trek can be a little too, this is a criticism I've had. Sometimes that we're a little too evolved. 
as uh, people. Yes. It's, it feels a little preachy. And I like that. Don't get me wrong. But I like that enterprise still feels very much like, oh, people still haven't had a lot of experience outside of Earth yet. And they're still yeah. getting in fistfights in bars. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I, I liked, I, I was surprised by enterprise. And also just, you know, I liked Quantum Leap. So Scott Bakula. Yay. Of course. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. I've, you know, in my own mind, I've kind of, I've watched enough of the franchise as a whole to kind of go, you know, it would have been really, because I mean, clearly Gene Roddenberry structured it to be very organized. He's a military man and he worked law enforcement there in Los Angeles for a while before he got into television production. But uh, it would have been kind of cooler to see even a little more structure, a little more, you know, have it be thought out a little bit more, you know, something a little bit beyond gold, red and blue jerseys, you know, like, you know, and seeing the combination of those things just coming from, you know, uh, you know, my limited experience with uh, the military and law enforcement, um, you know, it would have been kind of cool to see something a little bit closer to how it was here on earth. Um, but you're absolutely right. We kind of get that with enterprise because they're wearing jumpsuits. They have pockets. Uh, the NX-01 is a step above a submarine. It feels very much like a submarine. Um, you know, they've got, you know, some higher technology and doors go, but other than that, like it's very much a sub. Like if you, if you watch Star Trek with the mind, with the mindset of kind of like hunt for red October and U five, seven, one, you know, if you watch those and then go watch star Trek, you're like, Oh, I see what they did here. Like, okay. It's very much submarine warfare. You yeah. know, they just, they just happen to have a screen. Um, but yeah, it's so fun to see this thing of, you know, they still eat catfish, you know, and you know, the, they have a chef, they have a chef on board. Yeah. Um, they have, uh, uh, you know, they have gym equipment that looks like something you would see at planet fitness. <laughs> like I have seen that machine. I've been on that, on that machine. I've hurt my legs on that machine. Uh, you know, all those things. And, uh, you know, they're still watching, uh, old movies and stuff. They have movie nights on, on the ship and there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. Um, but, uh, before we get into more specific, uh, details about the episodes we've watched today, Let's get into this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. TN Wednesday, two blockbuster new episodes. First, meet the man who was meant to be the captain of Enterprise, Keith Carradine Guests. Enterprise is about to investigate a dark matter cloud. And so on. Archer is informed by Admiral Forrest that his former Starfleet colleague, Captain Robinson, has died in a rock climbing accident. Archer, seeking solitude, desires to travel into the nebula in a shuttle pod armed with spatial charges to excite the dark matter. To Paul, noting that captains are prohibited from traveling off ship unaccompanied, joins him and convinces him to tell the story of his friend Robinson and the Warp 5 program. Huh. Flashback humor. Archer meets with Forrest and is informed that although he excelled in simulations, his colleague Robinson has been awarded the test ship, the NX Alpha. Disappointed, Archer goes to the 602 Club, a local bar, bumping into Robinson there. Later, Robinson takes the scheduled flight aboard the NX Alpha. 
breaking the warp 2.0 barrier. He refuses a command from Forrest to stop and instead increases speed. The craft soon destabilizes and is destroyed as it approaches warp 2.2, but Robinson escapes. The Vulcans argue that the warp program should be postponed, but Archer wants the program and his father's engine research to continue. Archer and his new friend Trip then go to the 602 Club to drink the, I mean, discuss the problem. Robinson arrives and blames Archer's father, and he and Archer end up in a fistfight. I'm feeling pretty drunk. Well, it's business drunk. It's like rich drunk. Either way, it's legal to drive. The next day, Archer discovers Robinson packing up the contents of his locker. He concedes that it is primarily an intermix problem, but that the engine could still work. Archer and Robinson then steal the NX Beta with trip in flight control, but it starts to suffer the same issues as the Alpha. As Starfleet security detains Trip, Archer and Robinson coax the engines to warp 2.5. Save your breath, Iago. Faster! Yes, almighty evil one! Archer and Robinson are reprimanded. More like chewed out. I've been chewed out before. And the program is grounded for a year, but they have proved that his father's design was sound. Archer launches his final two charges into the cloud, and a breathtaking nebula slowly reveals itself. Archer calls to Paul to watch the actual nebula with her eyes, rather than monitor it through the sensors. Paul mentions the human tradition of first discoverers of astronomical phenomena having naming rights. Archer makes a sarcastic crack about calling it the Tapal Archer Nebula. Tapal gently responds that she was thinking Archer could name it the Robinson Nebula after his friend. And then... It's finally happened. T'Pol's in heat, and she needs relief. I'll be frightened. I won't hurt you. Enterprise encounters Scalar, a Tellarite who is surprisingly friendly and offers to give them a tour of a nearby planet. Scalar is a bounty hunter and abducts Archer, planning to turn him over to the Klingons for payment. I knew it. Archer soon learns that Scalar plans on using the reward to buy back Tezra, his previous ship. On Enterprise, T'Pol and Doc Flox begin an hours-long decontamination after a recent away mission. T'Pol begins acting strangely and begins making sexual overtures to Doc Flox. It appears that a microbe has activated Pon Far, the Vulcan sex drive. Flox races to find a treatment, but T'Pol's actions become more and more erratic. Finally, she knocks Phlox out and escapes from decontamination. Reed and a security team manage to subdue her. Later, T'Pol wakes up feeling back to normal and embarrassed by her actions. Phlox promises not to mention what happened to anyone. Meanwhile, Scalar runs into trouble when a rival bounty hunter tracks him down and demands that he turn over Archer. Scalar refuses, and the rival opens fire. Uh, that was a in the battle, Archer convinces Scalar to temporarily free him, and the two men land on a nearby planet to make repairs. As they work, Archer learns more about Scalar's circumstances. Scalar turns Archer over to the Klingons as planned, but ends up receiving only two-thirds of the promised reward. In revenge, he alerts Enterprise to the location of the Klingon ship, and Archer escapes in an escape pod. Enterprise arrives and retrieves Archer, damaging the Klingon ship enough to end the battle. Sometime later, Scalar contacts Archer and warns that the price on Archer's head will probably double. Grateful, Archer bids Scalar farewell. I don't care! So, let's start with uh, First Flight. Uh, we've talked about how much we enjoy 
sort of the retro nature of Enterprise. And we get to see a ship that doesn't really look like Enterprise. It looks more like the Phoenix from First Contact. Uh, you having seen First Contact in the theaters, uh, what were your yeah. thoughts about First Contact? Or not, well, First Contact <laughs> and this episode, First Flight. Okay, I really enjoyed this episode because of First Contact. So I, yeah, I saw First Contact in theaters. And at the time, that scene with Zephram Cochran, Mm-hmm. And he puts in his little music disc that looks yep. like a, a little baby CD yeah. um, and plays uh, Magic Carpet Ride by Steppenwolf. Yes. I thought this is the best thing I've ever seen. Nothing will ever top this moment <laughs> in my life. Um, and I still sometimes, you know, put on that song and it's it's just never it's just never as good as it was, you know, in First Contact. Right. Jonathan Frakes is just <laughs> Jeff's kiss of a director. Yes. Um, so I really liked this episode because it felt very first contacty to me. Yeah. Um, I liked the warp stuff. I liked them trying to break, is it warp two? They're trying to go past warp two. Yeah. Warp two building towards warp three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I liked that. I liked that the ship felt similar, like mm-hmm. you said, to what we see in first contact. Oh yeah. And also I just really, really love Keith Carradine. So I was just super yes excited when I realized that Keith Carradine was in this episode because I will watch him do anything. Yeah. He's the dude. Like, yeah, yeah. he's, he's awesome. Uh, he, and such a great, such a great character turn. That's one thing I got to really hand it to from a production standpoint, uh, these serialized, uh, shows, uh, and even sort of these, uh, procedural type shows is you really get a lot of really fantastic performances by some of the best character actors you might not know their names but you know their face you probably can recognize their voice Clancy Brown like Clancy Brown showed up in an earlier episode I want to say a season one episode or maybe very early season two and as soon as I heard the voice it was just like uh Mr. Krabs (laughs) I know him I know him yeah it's like oh and I'm a big Highlander guy and I was just like the Kurgan (laughs) it's him (laughs) but yeah you know getting to see this um and the episode that just released today um uh that of this podcast that we did with Bonnie Gordon covering um the episode of Enterprise called Regeneration which directly ties to first contact. If you haven't seen that one, I don't want to spoil it for you, but needless to say, the ripples uh, started in first contact really come to fruition there. And you're going to get to see some very great Scott Bakula captaininess. He's he's, he turns in a great performance and it's actually considered a fairly controversial episode uh, based on the nature of, what happens in the story, but uh, I don't want to say too much else, but I highly recommend go ahead and rewatch first contact and then watch regeneration or no, 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 no. Watch first contact, then watch first flight and then watch regeneration Um, because you're going to get all the first contact goodness in the really nice tight package. It's, it's really great. You're going to dig it. But we see, you know, we've talked a lot about the poor decision-making on Archer's uh, part and Tripp's part, especially here in the recent episode that we discussed called uh, Cogenitor, which 
that's a fantastic episode, but it really makes you very angry at trip uh you know and i don't want to spoil it for you but uh i highly recommend that episode as well if you've enjoyed these episodes i think you're going to be really happy with the series overall um as a as a star trek fan who can you know see past who can see past the opening theme song <laughs> a lot of people can't get past faith of the heart and it's real uh, bad it, it is yeah it's it it was an it was an ill-advised choice <laughs> it was but it was 2001 you exactly know? yes uh and you know america at that time was very well i've spoke about it at length but you know it premiered like two weeks after 9-11 so we were looking at a lot of, you know, country, hoorah, yeah, what's well, America, let's go out there and, you know, and conquer the stars and all that stuff, you know. Um, so I think there was a, I think there was an element of that in there as well. But uh, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that early relationship with Archer and Trip. Now you don't have, you haven't watched a lot of Enterprise, but how do you feel about the character of uh, Charles Tucker, the third trip, the engineer aboard the enterprise. Okay. Well, first of all, the actor feels like he's just trying to sound like Brad Pitt and inglorious bastards. So I swear they have the exact same voice. I mean, literally Brad Pitt in inglorious bastards is this guy. And it out. All right. Exactly. That's exactly how he sounds. And, and, and I, I looked him up. He's, he's not, he's from Washington state. Yeah. So I really think he was doing a Brad Pitt accent. He time traveled, saw Glorious Bastards, of course. time traveled back and said, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Um, I also was just like, who in the writer's room is from Mississippi? Because oh. the name um, is aggressively Southern. It's just aggressively Southern. Yeah. And um, I both hate his character and also really like him. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because he reminds me of so many men that I know that I grew up around who were in many ways deeply problematic. Yeah. And yeah. yet I loved them. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it's it's that's I had a, a similar feeling towards towards his character. I like his I literally wrote down because I took a few notes as I was writing as I was watching the episodes that he and the show are aggressively American. You're not the first person um, to say that either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but some of what I liked about that and about the character of Trip is some of that aggressively American is not necessarily a bad thing. So there's this, um, and, and having lived in Europe and spoken extensively with people who are not American, who see America in certain ways, mm-hmm. um, they're often highly, highly critical and understandably so rightfully so. Yeah. But when you ask them what they like about it or what they think is interesting, they often point to this sort of, um, in German, they say, um, Idiotenglück, which is basically like dumb luck. Um, they, they often say that Americans are so aggressively confident that things just work out for them. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and they shouldn't, but, but it somehow does. It's like, I'm going to stand up here and pretend that I know what I'm talking about and you will all listen to me because damn it, 
I believe it. And they actually, a lot of Europeans are actually really, the, the ones that I've spoken with anyway, are actually really sort of fascinated by this. And they wish that they could be more that way. They oh, see wow. it as actually a, a good sort of quality, but yeah. one that we need to temper. And I would, I would agree. So I yeah. like that aspect of Tripp's character that he has this sort of, no, that was your dad's engine, make it work. And, and so I do I do like that aspect of him. I like that he's sort of the cowboy. Yeah, very much. Character. Yeah. And the, uh, yeah, his, you know, he'll fix that engine with some uh, some duct tape and a ball peen hammer and then head to the mess hall for some catfish. <laughs> yeah. Beers all around. Beers all around. Absolutely. And it's, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch Archer, uh, of course, you know, iconically played by Scott Bakula as this kind of, he, he is the captain, not just a captain. He is the captain. So, but it's interesting when he gets around these other characters in one-on-one scenarios, because he either sort of mirrors their energy or becomes the, the leader, the, the mentor. Like you see a lot of that with Archer and Hoshi, especially earlier in season one, because of everyone on the ship, Hoshi is not an astronaut. <laughs> Hoshi is a linguist. She she had a job on Earth. She was teaching, uh, you know, linguistics at a university. And Archer is just like, hey, how would you like to go into space? She's like, not really. And he's like, I'll see you there. <laughs> and that's kind of, that was kind of the whole vibe. And a lot of times she was kind of, okay, and the, the thought for her character had to be of like, okay, I'm going to, sit at my station. I'm going to interpret, you know, the, the languages and all that. And that's going to be fine. One of the first things they have her do is go on this ship where she has, that's what she's doing. She's translating. But the first thing she encounters is like a dozen dead bodies hanging from the ceiling where they're being drained of fluids. She's like, Oh my God. Like I, I, she, she was not ready for, for space she was not ready for the horrors you know uh bones mccoy frequently talks about it's death and disease and darkness and silence <laughs> like <laughs> you can imagine hoshi going uh-huh <laughs> and just leaving <laughs> but uh yeah you know it's interesting to see archer mirror the different crew's energies and stuff or sort of help pull them out of whatever funk they're in uh, but, you know, getting into uh, the next episode, Bounty, we're seeing some ramifications of Archer, uh, you know, interfering with different things with the Klingons. And now there's a price on his head. Uh, basically, you know, to give you the short version, uh, some Klingons needed help. Archer helped them. They didn't like it. And then uh, they encountered some mean Klingons, which you know, wrap your head around that, <laughs> but they encountered some mean Klingons and then uh, rescued some people that the Klingons were trying to destroy. And then they put Archer in jail for it. They put him in prison. He escaped from prison and now there's a bounty on his head. <laughs> so he goes through all this different stuff. But to me, I feel like this is almost, it, it's hard for me to decide what is the A plot and what is the B plot of this episode because you've got this you've got this plot with Archer that has been developing over a few episodes now but then you've got this very they really sold the episode on to Paul running around in in her underwear 
uh, making passes at Doc Flocks. Um, what are your thoughts on the two plots that we have going in the episode of Bounty? Oh, it, you know, it felt a little bit like they pulled some leftover plot bunnies out of a hat and threw them to the wall to see which one stuck and then said, let's make an episode out of yeah. these two things. Um, they wrong. also both really had shades of fan fiction to, to, yeah. to me. Oh gosh. Yeah. It was really strange. I mean, both of these plots really felt like a fan fiction that someone had written mm-hmm. about these characters. I did not enjoy this episode at all. Um, which was really disappointing because I actually really enjoyed first flight. And then I got to the next episode and I thought I literally wrote down sucks ass. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was terrible. Yeah. 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 So it was very, but it, it, it felt like I could see it and say, okay, I don't really feel like this is super indicative of every episode of enterprise. This feels like maybe it's a particularly. Yeah. It's an outlier week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and I've spoken at length about how Enterprise is an interesting place in um, in television, in television production history, in that it was kind of after the episodic era, but it was before the serialized fad, starting with uh, ABC's Lost. I think that's when that kind of came back around, but because it fell in the middle, it wasn't one or the other, but it had elements of both. And I think we're getting a little bit of that. And I hadn't really put together the idea. I I've, I think the fan fiction really applies to the, to Paul and doc flocks thing, obviously. Um, but I feel like that element of, the bounty being placed on Archer's head and him being sold by a bounty hunter to the Klingons is kind of a nice element of this overarching story of the, well, they're not the Federation yet Starfleet and its first ship sort of establishing very shaky diplomatic relations with the Klingons. And we've seen that develop. We've seen, we've been seeing that develop since the pilot episode broken bow which that is their first mission is to return a Klingon back to the Klingon homeworld, And it unfolds from there. Uh, but with the stuff going on, there's two characters that I feel overall really get the shaft in the enterprise series as a whole. One, my favorite uh, Travis Mayweather, the uh, African-American pilot of the NXO one. I absolutely love him. He's such a great character and has He's had a British guy. No, he's uh, no, the British guy is uh, Malcolm Reed. He's the armorer slash tactical officer. Uh, so he's the guy shooting missiles. The uh, Travis Mayweather is the African-American pilot sitting in front of Archer on the on the bridge. I don't think he okay. I don't I don't think he has a lot to do in this episode, which unfortunately, more often than not, was kind of how the character of Travis Mayweather was approached. But the other person that really kind of gets the shafts, um, you know, in terms of how their character was approached and developed and treated uh, throughout the narrative is to Paul, um, which she's such a unique character in that she's in a unique place at the beginning of this series of she's approaching it very much as a, as scientific exploration. Hey, I'm going to go with them on this journey. And while we are you know, completing missions, you know, for the greater good of uh, the galactic uh, well-being and 
Um, I'm also get to, I'm going to get hands-on experience studying, studying humans. Uh, flip side to that coin, she gets treated, she gets treated horribly. Like again, from the pilot episode, she is treated horribly. Uh, Archer, the only thing Archer doesn't say is that's okay. Go back in the kitchen, sweetheart. Like it's, it's that kind of energy from day one. Now over the, you know, here we are at the end of season two and we've seen their relationship develop where Archer trusts her. Archer respects her. There's a big issue of trust between humans and Vulcans, not just Archer and DePaul, but like humans and Vulcans in general, because Archer is approaching the Warp 5 program from a very personal place because his father helped design the first Warp ship. So he's coming at this with a lot of emotional baggage. And the Vulcans, with a lot of lack of emotional baggage, um, treat humans as very much bad little kids of like, Hey, okay. We know you, we just gave you this really, you you just figured out how to put together this really fancy Lego set. We're going to need you to not do that for roughly a hundred (laughs) years. And it's like, no, we just got this thing. Let us do, let us be, let us grow, let us run. And so he is not fond of to Paul right off the bat. And consequently, through his own, um, you know, through his own misgivings about Vulcans. And I got to think to a degree, his personal treatment of women, like she gets, she gets, she gets talked down to and ordered around more than gosh, even more than Hoshi does. Um, So what are your thoughts on because because you don't have a lot of experience with the overarching thing with Archer and the Klingons, what are your thoughts about the T'Pol, Doc Flocks, Ponfar thing? thing. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll just call it a thing. <laughs> so from a very like bird's eye view. Yeah, yeah. I think that scenes like this, stories like this can be a lot of fun right? Like it, 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 from a distance, it it can be fun. You put, um, one of my favorite episodes of star Trek of all time is the naked now TNG where they're all, it's fun. It is It's fun. It can be a lot of fun. However, this didn't feel super fun to me. Um, it felt like it could have been fun. Yeah. But then one person had fewer clothes on than the other person. Yeah. Right. So it, I think they, this is, it's difficult. So I liked, here's what I liked about it. I liked that it was a woman who was coming on to a man and not the other way around. I liked that because one of these things is less problematic than the other, right? Like women historically yeah. have problems with that. Yeah. So I liked that they did it. I liked that they had her being the, I hate to use the word aggressor, but the aggressor rather yeah. than flock. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that they sort of turned that on its head a little bit and said, okay, well, how would this be if, you know, if it was the female and then they just really over-sexualized the whole thing. And I know it was a scene about like a Vulcan needing to mate. I, I know that I know that, but it's just like, okay, did she have to be, did we have to basically put her in nothing? And yeah. <laughs> maybe it could have been, I, I just, I didn't love it. Um, I didn't love it. What I liked, aside from the fact that they did at least attempt to flip the script a little bit, at least maybe there was some sort of cognizance of maybe we shouldn't have a man 
being the aggressor here. Yeah. I liked the way they portrayed how flocks handled the situation. I thought that was incredibly well done. Yeah. Um, I liked that there was no shaming of sex, um, yeah. but rather in this context, it's inappropriate because we're colleagues and you're not really in your right mind. So I can't fully get consent from you. Yeah. Um, and maybe I just don't want to. Right. So I really liked the way they wrote flocks. This was to me, this, this, this had shades of like Buffy, the vampire slayer, where like, there's a lot of things they okay. did really, really wrong. And yeah. yet somehow there were some things they did really, really right. And, and I think it was the time in television, really, it was, it was, we were sort of starting to say, okay, maybe we should be including these things. Maybe we should be reevaluating the treatment of certain people, but we're not quite there yet. Or mm -hmm. We think we're going to do it right, but it's still being written by a bunch of men. Yeah. And I suspect that's what this was. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, don't know what, I mean, what were your thoughts on that? Well, some interesting character background that you might not have. I don't know that they touched on it in this episode. I don't think they touched on it in this episode specifically, but um, Doc Flocks, who is a Denobulan, Denobulans are polyamorous. And uh, they are known to take three, four or more um, uh, partners. Um, so Doc, I think has, I think he said he has three or four wives, but each of them have multiple husbands. That's how their species is. Um, the other interesting character um, thing uh, on the part of T'Pol is T'Pol uh, is the victim of the first, uh, well, what we see as the first franchise mind meld, which she is an unwilling participant. And it is this, it is enterprise. It is the show enterprise. It is enterprises, um, first, um, commentary on date rape. And then there is a later episode, um, talking about, and I, uh, it's called stigma um, dealing with sort of the aftermath of that um, in short to Paul has contracted a disease based on her encounter in the previous um, in the previous episode where she was uh, essentially uh, date raped uh, by, by another Vulcan. And it's a, it's a big long thing, but um, that goes to again, sort of the very, hypersexualized way that she was uh, portrayed on the show. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, the women that have been on Star Trek, very smart, very capable, very beautiful. Um, but again, maybe suffering from the writer's room or production or an executive who's like, okay, we got to, you know, all right, we got to jazz this up. We got to, you know, we got to, yay, sex sells. So we got to, you know, let's make those skirts a little shorter. Or let's make those bodysuits just a little tighter, or, you know, let's make that neckline a little lower, whatever it is. And I feel like because to Paul, or the, the actress, Jolene Blalock has a very unique look. She has a very, her facial features are very, she's perfect to play a Vulcan, you know, and that's yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but because of the nature of how they did this, like when we first see her, she's in like traditional Vulcan robes and stuff. The next thing we see her in is this skin tight bodysuit that she spends four years in aboard this ship where everyone else has pockets. 
Like, yeah, you know, she's she, she could probably use some pockets too. And I mean, this goes. I she mean, has things to carry. She's got stuff to carry. She's got little tricorders and things like yeah. that. And you know, like, can we give a girl some pockets? Yeah. Um, but I think I think you know, looking back at TOS and you know certain things going on there, and you know those in terms of how the women were portrayed um the good and the bad and that sort of progressed there has been there has been a trend in star trek of addressing the nature of sexual assault um in many different forms all the way back to tos which is great that they are talking about this sort of stuff um but here you know, we see her going through this thing where she's not wearing a lot of clothes and it's a cultural thing for Vulcans, but she's also, we've also seen her be the victim and now dealing with the stigma of a disease that she caught because of it. And this whole thing, I I don't know that this played out very well. Um, It does feel, honestly, the description of it feeling very fan fiction-y that you mentioned earlier is spot on it feels very fan fictiony um i don't know you know what are your thoughts on the portrayal of women in that light being very smart being very capable um but also you know again at the vic you know being victims of the writers or victims of the production you know how do you feel about how they are portrayed overall does one overshadow the other uh you know what are your thoughts on all of that and not just from enterprise but over the franchise oh that's a really good question i don't think that it overshadows the good at all uh, but that's me and i i know i've talked to other people who would disagree w- with that mm. um i feel like if you asked a 19 year old <laughs> they might have a completely different answer they might say nope yeah it absolutely overshadows it give us better portrayals or don't give us anything. But if you grew up watching television in the 1960s, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, you took what you got, first of all. Yeah, Yeah. And, and so I don't think it overshadowed it at all. I never thought, for example, about Deanna Troy. Oh, she can't be my hero because she's dressed like a cheerleader. (laughs) You know, I never, I never thought that. Right, Right. Um, and I think, we can see all types of women. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to see if I can say this in the way that I, that I mean it. I don't think, for example, there's anything wrong with having a character on a sci-fi show that wears tight clothing, for example. Yeah, sure. Absolutely not. Yeah. If that's all you're seeing though, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And so that is where I start to have an issue with it. And it does get better even by TNG. Um, Troy's the only female character who dresses like that in the main cast. Guinan doesn't dress that way. Tasha Yar wears the uniform. Beverly Crusher wears the uniform. Um, Ensign Rowe, Keiko. Yeah. It's just Troy. So we're getting better. Mm-hmm. But mm, there's, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's a, if yeah, I'm having a hard time. It's such a big question and it's such it a is. complicated thing. And yeah. <laughs> I don't think it overshadows it. I don't think that you have to write off a character because they're not perfect. And I actually feel really strongly about this. I feel sort of very like in both camps in that 
On the one hand, I think television and media are educational and there's a certain responsibility that you have to the viewer. On the other hand, I feel that we can't really quantify morality as it's portrayed in art. And so I have sort of both of these thoughts sort of going, you know, going on in my head. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind that T'Pol is wearing tighter clothing in and of itself. But when you put it in the context of some of these things that like, I didn't even know that she's often portrayed as a victim, whereas some of the other characters are not, none of the other characters are wearing these things. She's a very attractive woman. So let's put the pretty chick in the tight clothing, right? And, And so you have, it's kind of like you can see that there's an opportunity that someone sees to take. Uh-huh. You know, and, and so, whereas, and even like with, within T and G, I mean, Gates McFadden, Denise Crosby and Whoopi Goldberg are all really pretty women as well, but they're yeah. not pretty in the way that Marina Sirtis is right. So you have, yeah. it's like someone saw an opportunity there. And I think you can see that. I think you can see someone saying, whether it was conscious or not saying, okay, we can put these women in uniforms. But we would really have a missed opportunity here if we didn't put this chick with, you know, who's maybe well endowed in tight clothing. And she's also the exotic accent. Yeah, right. She doesn't have to shoot. She doesn't have to shoot any guns. So let's just like, you know, I think I think Gene Roddenberry's original iteration for Deanna Troy is actually that she had free breasts. Um, I've heard that. Yeah. And and, and (laughs) so it's just like, what are you? I don't know. And and I think at some point in time with portrayals of things, we'll probably come back to some of that and we'll all feel okay about it. You know, I think maybe in 20 years, maybe we will have progressed so well that we can have a, a show where this ensign is like the hot chick and it's fine because we've, we've progressed and we've really been able to see really the full depth and expanse of what being a woman can look like. Yeah, but we're not really there yet. And we certainly weren't there in 2001. And I think particularly what bothers me about the T'Pol stuff is all the victim sort of stuff that you mentioned that just, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. And the thing that really just creeped me out about this plot line is I kept thinking, okay, it's fine because Reed and flocks are safe men, but so many men are not safe men. And yeah. I just, that's what bothered me about it. Yeah. I kept thinking, what if she wasn't with Fox? What would happen? Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, really didn't like that. Yeah. It, it's, it's so, it's so hard because they painted themselves into a corner. I feel like of just kind of like, okay, we've got Hoshi and we've got a few other female cast members who pop in from time to time. They, you know, an episode or two, maybe three here and there. Um, but other than Hoshi, it's to Paul. And that's it. Like, and she's the only Vulcan, you know, you've got two, you've got only two crew members who aren't human. So it's just kind of maybe the aspect of her not being a human character made it easier to put her in that scenario, but that's gross. (laughs) Like why, 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 why is that? Okay. That's not okay. Yeah. Well, it feels like fetish, I can never say this word fetish, it feels like it's a fetish thing, right? Yeah, like it's right. the exotic exotification of someone, right? Yeah. That's sort of what it feels like when you do that. And it was the same thing with Troy, right? She was like half betazoid. So yeah. maybe it's okay that we do this. I don't know. 
he's not human so it's okay really <laughs> is that is that your is that your is that your uh that your argument that the hill you're gonna die on jesus <laughs> um yeah so uh you know let's um so i'm so i'm getting from you thumbs up on the first episode thumbs down on the second episode Is that about sum it up big thumbs up on the first episode and big thumbs down on the second one i mean i think yeah. i couldn't have picked a better episode to start on and i think i couldn't have had a worse follow-up yeah yeah it's kind of rough well this is um this is another chapter in our uh cast as crew uh series where we you know when a couple of episodes are back to back with uh directed by um you know former cast members we kind of like to spotlight that a little bit so let's uh let's get into our stats here and ask the question that we do every week who do we blame so uh the writers of this episode were john shaban and chris black their last uh uh, their last work was on season two, episode 21, The Breach. They they worked on this episode, the episode uh, First Flight, uh, which was directed by Mr. LeVar Burton, a.k.a. Jordy LaForge, Mr. Reading Rainbow. More fish for Colton. His last directing was season two, episode 22, Cogenitor, which I mentioned earlier. And it's, you know, it really is a fascinating episode. And I highly, highly recommend uh, checking it out. The guest stars, we've got a few notable guest stars here. Von Armstrong, of course, returning again as Admiral Forrest. Love, love Von Armstrong. He's he's great. Uh, we've got Brid- Bridget Brana as Rudy, and she's got a couple of interesting credits here. Uh, quite a extensive resume, but I'll just hit some of the highlights here. 1990, she was on an episode of Doogie Hauser MD. Did you ever... Did you ever watch Doogie Howser, MD? Um, I watched an episode once before my parents decided that it wasn't allowed and they turned it off. Oh, no. <laughs> I have no idea why. I have no idea why huh. they decided that. They probably just didn't want to watch it. That's probably what that was. Probably. Well, uh, for you kids out there, there was there was a time where Neil Patrick Harris uh, was an adorable child doctor. <laughs> Uh, and there was uh, that show that ran for a good long while. That was a lot of fun, but that was way before he appeared in the Harold Kumar movies. And of course, on How I Met Your Mother. Anyway, I digress. Uh, 1998, Bridget Brona also appeared in The Man in the Iron Mask, um, along with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. She did an episode of Sliders in 1997, Charmed in 1999. And then this was her only franchise appearance so far. I mean, She's still alive. She's still working. Um, So maybe we'll see her again in the future. Uh, 2015, she did an episode of Supernatural. And then her big role so far in her resume, 2017 to 2019, she was on Marvel's Runaways as Stacey Yorks, the magistrate's wife. Um, I remember reading uh, Runaways, the first iteration of Runaways. It was a really fantastic series. I haven't dived into the tv show have you have you seen marvel's runaways at all are you into the marvel stuff at all i'm not that's okay it's now we've identified now we've identified you okay fellas swoop in take her out (laughs) (laughs) i love that people love it i just it's it's just not it's not for me what what turns you off about the marvel does it just not interest you or you just you weren't exposed to it as a kid or you know no it's aggressively sequeled like, I just, I yeah, feel like yeah. 
it's everywhere and it just annoys, it annoys me. And I don't even know why I can't even tell you, um, why exactly. Um, I did watch a few scenes of WandaVision. Is that Marvel? Yes, 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 it is. Um, because everyone was talking about that Catherine Hahn song. She's insidious, <laughs> of her that you haven't even noticed, and the pity is. The pity is. <laughs> Sparky too. <laughs> Great. Like Catherine Hahn is one I've, of those people. I would watch her in anything. Yeah. Um, I've loved yeah. Catherine Hahn since uh, what women really want. Yes. I've she's loved her since everything. then. She's, yeah. she's, she's uh, I would say she's a character actor who has more recently taken more, more leading roles. And she's, she's really, first of all, hilarious very very funny um beautiful uh wonderful actress i i hope i hope we see her again in the marvel universe i hope we see her again in anything really she's really she's really fantastic so moving on to uh mr keith carradine as ag robinson (laughs) he has had quite a career and garnered some fantastic accolades as well uh his first role all the way back in 1971 with McCabe and Mrs. Miller. He was a cowboy. Uh, But then in 1975, he was in Nashville as Tom Frank, where he won an Oscar. (laughs) He won an Oscar for best original song and a golden globe for the same thing. And it's wow. Like every now and then one of these people pops up in Star Trek that you just kind of like, Oh, I don't know this person. You click on their Wikipedia page or their IMDb page. And you're just like, Oh my God, they've done everything. (laughs) Uh, but he also had a role in Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, he was in Two Days in the Valley, which is a great, really fun uh, sort of noir, like mid-90s noir detective thriller. Uh, that was a lot of fun with early, with an early uh, Charlize Theron appearance. And uh, of course, Terry Hatcher. I was a big Terry Hatcher fan. I loved Terry Hatcher from... Uh, Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark. Of course. I absolutely fell in love with her and Lois and Clark. Um, he was also in uh, 2011 Cowboys and Aliens. That's, you know, some of the highlights of his movie career, but his TV career is very extensive. But I'll hit some of the highlights here. 23 episodes of Fast Track, 13 episodes of Wild West Tech. And he was the host show. That sounds like something that was maybe on Discovery Channel or something along those lines. Um, 2004, he did, uh, five episodes of Deadwood, which that's a great show. I don't know if you've ever seen Deadwood, but it was on HBO. It's about cowboys. You can probably piece it together from there. <laughs> uh, but he was nominated for a satellite award for, uh, his appearance in Deadwood. He also did 19 episodes of complete savages, uh, 15 episodes. And this is where, cause I could not put my finger on him of like, I've seen this guy. I know him from something. And besides him being a character actor and character actors notoriously just kind of like, oh, it's that guy from that thing. 
Um, he was Special Agent Frank Lundy in Dexter. And I was like, oh, yes, of course. Um, what did you, uh, did you see Dexter? Are you a fan of Dexter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I'd forgotten that he was in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was a nice surprise when I was going back through his, um, because I don't watch things unless I have IMDb. Of you know, course. pulled up, and I'd forgotten <laughs> that he was Frank Lundy. He was yeah. really good in Dexter. So good in Dexter. Have you watched the new Dexter at all? No, and I'm afraid to. Yeah, I. You know, Dexter is one of those shows that uh, you know, and we'll get back to Star Trek here in a minute. Um, Dexter is one of those shows that the final season let me down, and yeah. I, I'm I'm nervous to return to it. Agreed. Just because it set such a high bar right off the bat. And continued throughout, but that final season was just such a bummer, and it ended on such a on such a whimper instead of a roar. Yeah, and I, you know that, and um, how I met your mother is another one. Um, it just real it it didn't turn my stomach, but it was just kind of like, oh man, I had invested so much time, and I'm invested in these characters, and that's how we're gonna leave it, really. <laughs> Anyways, uh, after, uh, you know, his turn on Dexter, he put in 93 episodes as President Conrad Dalton on Madam Secretary. I've been really, uh, I've seen ads for Madam Secretary, which I think is available on Paramount Plus. Um, Have you ever watched that? Do you have have any? uh... I haven't. I'm just recently branching out beyond like Netflix. So if it's, I I got Disney Plus like three days ago. (laughs) So, oh really? <laughs> yeah, it's so I'm just now it's so I I don't even know that I've heard of it. Um so you just got Disney Plus. Are are you doing are you deep diving on all the 90s cartoons from um, our, from our childhood? If if by that you mean I just rewatched DuckTales and the Hunt for the Wait the Treasure of the Lost Lamb? Yeah. And which is super racist by the way, but oh, also is I haven't watched it in years. And, but I, but I watched it and I enjoyed it because it was, you know, from, you know, from your, from your childhood, but yes, I've been rewatching. I watched some Darkwing Duck. Yes, I love Darkwing Duck. And DuckTales. Nice. Yeah. 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 We, uh, we dove back, you know, a really nice companion piece to Star Trek, especially next gen is Disney's Gargoyles. There are so many TNG cast members really in Gargoyles. Like, honestly, well, I mean. Uh, the main, uh, Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis are, make regular, they are on there regularly. Um, but I think almost everybody in, um, I think almost everybody in the TNG cast gets at least one turn at Disney's Gargoyles. (laughs) Okay. That's okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I have to check that out then. And to be honest, Gargoyles is a really good show. It was really, really, it, and it holds up. Honestly, it really does. <laughs> um, yeah, I even dove, I even dove into like some, there were a couple of really bizarre um older Disney movies, like um Lieutenant Robinson Caruso with starring Dick Van Dyke around uh that sounds so familiar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the story of you know uh Robin Caruso, but he's uh it's a modern day for the 60s or 70s, I think. Um, he's with the United States Navy and he gets separated from the rest of the fleet and he winds up on this Island and it's, and it's Dick Van Dyke. 
That sounds like something that would have been produced by the same people that were doing the ghost and Mr. Chicken. Yes. And did you, did you watch that? No, no, but I'm, but I you know what I'm talking about with, uh, yeah. with, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. He was in the Andy Griffith show. Uh, Don Knotts. Yeah. Don Don Knotts, Don Knotts. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of wacky, zany 1960s Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. I, uh, yeah, gosh, I fell down the rabbit hole of a lot of those older, very bizarre 1960s, 1970s uh, Disney films. Like I'm one of those kids who absolutely fell in love with Herbie, the, Herbie, the love bug. Oh yeah. I, I, re- I remember getting to introduce my wife to those movies and she had never seen them. And we sat and watched, we sat and watched the very first one, the love bug. And it was fun to watch her watch love bug. And uh, yeah. Um Oh gosh, uh, this is rapidly turning into the uh, <laughs> computer Keep resumed, Keep computer resumed da- uh, Disney podcast. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, here more recently, Keith Carradine is been uh, he's been making appearances on Fear the Walking Dead as John Dory Senior. I watched the regular Walking Dead show. Did you watch any of Walking Dead? Were you into Walking Dead at all? I regularly have recurring nightmares about zombies, so I try to avoid. So probably not. <laughs> I try to avoid. Um, yeah. The, the The Walking Dead. The book, the the you know the uh, the ongoing comic book series um, from uh, Robert Kirkman is phenomenal. It's really really great, mm. but it is incredibly graphic, and there's certain deaths of some main characters that are so graphic that when people because i have if you can see right here uh these are all the walking dead trades <laughs> awesome um but yeah there's one i want to say it's um volume seven or volume nine or somewhere somewhere around in there um where one of the main characters dies and they die in such a way that anybody who is asked to borrow and read the walking dead i always check to make sure I know which one it is. And when I hand it to them, I say, okay, this might be where you stop reading because it's that graphic. I don't know that I've seen a, a death that graphic in any other comic, but anyways, it's, um, but it's fantastically written, wonderful characters. I, 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 you know, it's the zombie thing. I've always, you know, people like, Oh, I'm not into zombies. Well, it's like, you're not watching for the zombies. You're watching for these characters dealing in the, you know, living in this situation where eventually the zombies become like the weather of like, mm-hmm. eh, what are the zombies out tonight? You know? Um, but anyways, uh, let's move on to. Uh, um, oh, oh, yeah. Can no, I say go one ahead, thing about Keith Carradine? You okay. You left off two of my favorite things that he's done. Please. So I have to mention this. He yeah. plays a serial killer in Criminal Minds. Oh, I, I which... like Criminal Minds. <laughs> Who doesn't like it? Criminal Minds, CSI. I'm, I'm like a trash, I'm a trash panda for like early 2000s network TV procedurals. Yes. Um, so much so that I opened an application to the FBI in about <sighs> 2007. I did not complete it, but I did think about it. Um, but he plays a serial killer and it was so great because he normally plays pretty good guys. Yeah. Um, or, or at least gray sort of characters. Mm-hmm. So he's really great. Um, I think he's in three or four episodes. He has sort of a recurring character arc. Nice. Um, but my favorite thing that he's done 
is he's Lou Salverson in season one of Fargo. You have know, you seen I never, Fargo? I, I saw the movie. I've never watched mm-hmm. the series. I've heard good things though. Okay. I love most things that I watch. I'm going to be honest about that, but I don't recommend many things. And I recommend Fargo to everyone I meet. The movie was great. The TV show is better Ooh, in my opinion. Okay. Um, he is, he plays a retired police officer mm-hmm. whose daughter is like the main sort of police lady okay. character yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in season one. And then in season two, a younger Lou Salverson is played by Patrick Wilson. And he's, and it's sort of set in the seventies. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely, he's fantastic. I love Lou Salverson. Lou Salverson is basically my dad. He sits on porches with rifles and he's just a good man. He's just nice. a good man. And if you like Keith Carradine, yeah, Fargo, for, for those of you who aren't able to picture Keith Carradine, he's like, picture a small town sheriff or like the high school football coach who gives the inspiring speech that's kind of keith carradine in yeah. that and show, nothing right? bad ever comes out about him because no. he's really just a good guy like he's like yeah. your your best friend's dad who is just gonna like bring you guys fast food after soccer practice like just yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> just a good dude yeah absolutely well who do we blame in terms of uh bounty that that episode was written uh, the story was actually written by Berman and Braga. They've been involved for, you know, uh, they, you know, basically helm this ship as it uh, travels through the early 2000s. Uh, but the teleplay was done by Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong. And uh, their last uh, episode that they worked on was season two, episode 23, Regeneration, which I mentioned earlier before, which we covered on episode 44 with Prodigy's own Bonnie Gordon. So that is out now. I highly recommend you check it out. It's a great episode. Uh, but then there's also uh, Mr. Hans Tobison. He's got some interesting credits here. A lot of TV. Um, he's, you know, I'll hit some of the highlights here. He's got uh, some writing credits, including uh sequest 2032 birds of prey did you ever watch the birds of prey tv series i don't think so it's kind of an alternate universe where catwoman and batman had a daughter and she had powers it didn't hang around very long Wait, that sounds something about that sounds really familiar to me yeah yeah (laughs) yeah maybe i saw a commercial for it possibly that's a big that's a strong possibility um <laughs> uh, this was his only uh his only franchise work you know this episode this teleplay of bounty or this teleplay on star trek enterprise uh the episode bounty uh but he also did an episode of v and uh then he's got a lot of uh producing credits uh producing credits as well including uh, a consulting producer credit on the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Did you ever watch that? I did. You did? Okay. Did you, are you a fan of Bruce Campbell? I don't even know. I think I probably, it was one of those things that I saw when it was just like on sometimes. I don't think I was, I like actively watched it, but I absolutely know (laughs) what you're talking about. Uh, and then we've, uh, he's also got, uh, you know, birds of prey. He was a co-executive producer of 11 episodes of that and, uh, more V cult. And, uh, here, uh, his most recent credit 2017, he's the executive producer of bloodline. And then, uh, the director of this episode series favorite Roxanne Dawson, AKA Belana Torres from star Trek Voyager. Yeah. 
Interesting. She's done a lot of really great directing um, here on the show and, uh, you know, within the Star Trek universe. I, I think even if you're not really a fan of sci-fi or even Star Trek in general, you got to really hand it to them bringing in young talent and letting them work alongside a lot of veteran actors, writers, producers, and directors. And then the the reins getting handed over to the next generation where we get arguably one of the greatest sci-fi directors, uh, you know, working in Jonathan Frakes who started on next gen and then LeVar Burton, Michael Dorn, Roxanne Dawson, Robbie McNeil, who plays Tom Paris. Like he's done a ton of stuff. Um, it's always really fun to see them take a turn at the helm and see, uh, you know, what kind of stories that they can create, you know, in this world that they know so well. In terms of guest stars, we've got Scalar played by Jordan Lund. Jordan Lund is actually uh, not a stranger to the Star Trek franchise. He first appeared in Next Gen in 1991, and then he appeared again in 1993 in Deep Space Nine. And then he, he appears here, 2003, in Star Trek Enterprise. And then uh, we've got Kago Dar, played by Robert O'Reilly. And if you don't know the name Robert O'Reilly, take a look at your Instagram feed for any memes featuring Gowron. And you are looking at Robert O'Reilly. He plays Gowron, um, who is all about honor and you know, and glory to your house. And he's got a really fantastic, uh, a really fantastic resume. I highly recommend uh, you take some time and really just fall down the rabbit hole of some of these character actors who turn in such amazing performances, legendary, iconic performances. And he's appeared on everything Star Trek uh, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine. Uh, he's a veteran uh, Broadway actor uh, working in, uh, he's done many turns in Carnegie Hall, but he's uh, appeared in Cheers and Knight Rider and MacGyver in the Heat of the Night, NYPD Blue, um, and he was even uh, in the film with Jim Carrey, The Mask. Uh, and he's done everything from he's done everything from The Mask to King Lear. Uh, you know, directed by jo you know he was directed by Jonathan Frakes on a TNG episode. Uh, and he's just, he's worked with everybody. He's, uh, he's 71 now. Um, but yeah, uh, his last credit was in 2017, but man, what, what a great performance. I, you know, I hope I get a chance to shake the man's hand because he really has brought me a lot of smiles, both in the Star Trek franchise and in memes on my, uh, on my Instagram feed. Um, and then we've also got Edo Ross as Gavrin, who Edo Ross uh, here again, you know, these character actors have such unique backgrounds. Uh, he's another, you know, character actor. He's 72 now, but I mean, he was a boxer and he uh, won the Golden Glove, Golden Glove Championship in 1964. Uh, he was a minor league ball player. He, uh, he even, uh, he even tried out for a couple of the majors. Uh, he played, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates and uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Um, but yeah, he's had a really interesting career. Uh, you know, fans of Dick Tracy will recognize him as Itchy. Um, he was at Universal Soldier. 
another 48 hours. He did, uh, you know, full metal jacket, lethal weapon, um, Boston legal, you know, some more of his TV credits, Boston legal Seinfeld Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, CSI, New York and moonlighting, you know, back in the day. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's great. And, uh, and then last, but certainly not least, we got Mr. Luis Ortiz, AKA Bronx Obama. Um, Luis Ortiz is another really fascinating Wikipedia hole to fall down in. Um, but yeah, I highly, highly recommend seek out some of these guest stars uh, that appear in these Star Trek episodes and really get into their history and their education and their background and find out how they made it all the way to Star Trek. I always love seeing the character actors. Um, so final thoughts, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us for uh, and, sub- and allowing me to subject you to <laughs> to two episodes of enterprise and uh uh, what are your final thoughts on these episodes enterprise as a as a show the franchise as a whole what do you think oh you know i freaking love star trek so um (laughs) you know it's all it's all great i think what i really like about star trek is that we do have so many different iterations that i feel like there's really something for everyone yeah and you don't have to like all of them That's my final thought is you don't have to like every series of Star Trek. You are just as much of a Star Trek fan. If Enterprise is your favorite or if TNG is your favorite or if Discovery is your favorite. And um, I think that's why we all like Star Trek is that it gives us a vision of the near and far future in which there's a place for everyone. And I think there's a place for every series in the Star Trek family or as I said it growing up Star Trek because I was very very country so Star Trek and you watch Star Trek um (laughs) and and I would also my other final thought is that Enterprise I think maybe I should have given Enterprise a chance maybe before today and I think I might um I am really supposed to watch Deep Space Nine because I have not watched Deep Space Nine either but I think Deep Space Nine and Enterprise yeah, might be next on my on yeah. my docket. So yeah, you know, uh, there I had a discussion with somebody recently about gatekeeping, where there's a thought of like, well, if you haven't seen anything, you're not a true fan. Like that is ridiculous. If you've only seen the original series and you love Star Trek, or if you've seen every episode and every iteration multiple times and you love Star Trek, then you love Star Trek and you're a fan and. It, th- you can be a fan of any part of it and experience all of it or experience only a little bit of it. And it's all great. And it's all there for you. Um, you know, some people see this as their white noise show. Uh, you know, they put it on and it, it lulls them to sleep. Like, I feel like that is such a great compliment to anyone working on a production that your, your thing is your, your work is so great. That's what I, that's what I use to lull me to sleep. It gives me such comfort. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And you know what, just because you hadn't, just because you hadn't seen enterprise doesn't make you less of a star Trek fan. I haven't finished deep space nine. That doesn't make me less of a star Trek fan. I've got this, I've got this show. I'm going through the entire franchise. I will get to it eventually. (laughs) And, and even if you don't, you know, that's okay. And sometimes we, you know, I love TNG so much that I sometimes 
have limited time in my day and I just want to rewatch it. You know, it's not even anything against. I just watched Voyager two years ago. Loved it. I'd never seen it before. Loved Voyager. Totally different from TNG. TNG will always be. Of course. You know, my baby. You never forget your first. No, you insert some sort of noise. You know, whatever Um, whatever context you want to put on that. No, whatever context. (laughs) But, 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 But you're exactly right. Like it's, it's the gatekeeping thing. And I feel like Star Trek has less of that than some of some other fandoms. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's still there. And yeah. I think that's really strange. And I think it's a very interesting thing where something that, so the whole evolution of sort of like nerd culture mm-hmm. where it was, you know, you were, if you liked that, you were sort of an outsider, but now it's sort of become popular. And now we uh-huh. are in turn gatekeeping. Yeah. I hate that. Uh, like if anyone should not do that. We've become the schoolyard bullies. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, really, genuinely, if yeah. anyone should not do that, yeah. it should be us. And so absolutely, there's no, there is no room. We say very often, it's now almost a running joke on our podcast, that there is no room for toxic masculinity in space. And there is no room for gatekeeping in space. Right. The only gatekeeping right. is please keep Gates McFadden around and put her in more Star Trek shows. That's yes. it. The ceiling gatekeeping will allow here. <laughs> well, uh, next week, we will be joined by Sophia, the other half of the Where's Bev podcast uh, for Enterprise Season 2, Episode 26, The Expanse, and Season 3, Episode 1, The Zindi, for our third director spotlight covering the career of Alan Croker. And both of those episodes are available on Paramount+. Plus. Adrian, tell me a little bit about the genesis of Where's Bev? Because as soon as I saw, as soon as I saw the title, as I was scrolling through Instagram and came across Where's Beverly, a Star Trek Picard podcast, I was like, I am following this. I am going to have these ladies on my show. This is great. So how how did this how did this all come to be? Like, how, how did how did you and Sophia get hooked up? And what was the genesis? What was the idea? To, hey, I know. <laughs> okay. So Sophia and I have been really good friends for probably about seven years. Um, we actually met on the internet because we were both huge fans of, it's very niche, German musical theater productions about like death and like dead royalty. So- <laughs> Wow. It's a, Even it's as you were saying niche. that, I was like, I bet I've heard of it. Nope, I have not. You haven't. <laughs> you probably haven't. There's a musical. It's called Elizabeth the Musical. Okay. And it's about uh, the Empress Elizabeth of Austria, who, you know, there's all this stuff. Her husband was the guy. He was the last emperor when World War I started. There's a whole musical about her and her husband and death. And they're sort of in this menage a trois sort of thing. Oh, it's, wow. it's super dark and super creepy and it's fantastic. If you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> nice. dark German musical theater. So we met because we were both really interested in that. And then we basically realized we had a bunch of other things in common. And now we've been like best friends for like seven years. And, um, but we started with a lot of shared interest. Uh, it was really almost kind of spooky how similar how many similar interests that we had, even though we were from two different countries and we were, there's about a decade apart in age. Um, oh, okay. We both really love Star Trek um, and we talked about it a lot. And we talked about starting a podcast during the pandemic because 
we didn't have anything else to do. We didn't really know what we would do. Yeah. And we realized, I think Sophia said, you realize that we regularly send each other like 10 minute, 15 minute voice messages talking about Star Trek. (laughs) Why have we not, why don't we just do a Star Trek podcast? Um, And so we decided that we didn't want to do something that maybe everyone else had done before. So we realized there weren't a lot of Picard podcasts. Um, So we thought, why not? Yeah. And we were really salty that Beverly Crusher hasn't showed up yet. So we, it was actually, the title was a joke. Um, we were tossing around titles and I said, well, how about, you know, where's Beverly? And it's like, we have like crime scene podcast artwork. And then we, we were like, that's it. Let's go, let's go for it. So, um, that's so yeah, funny. so that was sort of the idea. And I feel like when we finished Picard, we may just change it to, we may just stay Where's Beverly, a Star Trek podcast. And then maybe we'll cover yeah. other things. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. You've got, you've got a lot of room to play with uh, in terms of her, uh, obviously before being on the enterprise and her relationship with Jack and raising Wesley. And then of course her time on enterprise to include the movies and whatnot, but then you've got stuff between enterprise and Picard that, you know, she was involved with Starfleet medical. You know, she may have had interactions in developing the EMH. Uh, she might have been a mentor to Julian Bashir, uh, who's on Deep Space Nine. I, you never know. You never know. Um, I love the idea of treating. <laughs> I don't know that you guys have played with this uh, that much, but I love the idea of almost treating it like a uh, like a missing like a missing person uh, crime drama of like, where is she? There's this. There's a story of this woman, this doctor, and she just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, I mean, that's almost how we feel, yeah. really. And and we we really, it's really just like a sort of an after show episode, episodic sort of podcast where we yeah. really just talk about, you know, Picard. But at the end of every episode, we do both theorize and they're total crackpot theories. I mean, they're not, they're not serious at all Those are the um, best. as to, you know, where we think she is. And I think the last one that I did was, I think Beverly is... She's time traveled back to Atlantis under Ooh. the Bermuda Triangle, and she is having tea and cookies because that with Amelia Earhart because that's where Amelia Earhart is. And so, I mean, we come up with just these. I love it. I, you know, I think um, one of them was she's recently purchased a new ghost candle, <laughs> so she's enjoying her time. Of course, you know, as so one we does. Just, we have yeah, as as one does. So we have a lot of fun. Which is okay. Where's Beverly? Where is she? Cause she's not Picard. She's not Picard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd love, I mean, cause I mean, they've hinted at um, Whoopi Goldberg coming back and, you know, they had Brent and Jonathan and Marina and, you know, a whole bunch of other folks. You gotta, you gotta figure they're going to have everybody else at least stop in yeah. at it least really, once. It's really starting to feel, and I don't like to, I don't like to feel this way. It's starting to almost feel like it's intentional. Like we just aren't going to have her. Um, and, but I have, I have, you know, I have these theories. I feel like no, I feel like in TNG, the characters that consistently got the shaft the most were Beverly Crusher and Jordy LaForge. Um, I feel like they, yeah. they got stomped on. They didn't get as much stuff to do when they did get stuff. It was often really weird stuff that was just like oh yeah. let's make Jordy look like a sexual predator or let's make Ugh. dr crusher seem crazy i it's so 
I don't know. Um, and, you know, I know she was originally Gates McFadden was fired, you know, from season one of TNG, but I don't yeah. think those writers are still, I don't think they still have anything to do with Picard. So I'm hoping we're hoping that the reason she hasn't been mentioned is because they really do have an idea for bringing her in maybe in season three. Um, that would be cool. That would I be would, really cool. I would really like to see that. Where yeah. is she? How do you feel about uh, how do you feel about Jerry Ryan Seven of Nine appearing on Picard? I like Seven of Nine. Yeah, um, she's cool. Yeah, I really like the development of her character. Yeah, has been really fantastic in Picard, and it's yeah. also, but it also still feels like she's still seven. Yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we got a really uh, spoilers for Picard. I feel like we got a really nice fan moment when she plugged back into the cube and became the yes. and became that the war cool. queen. That was so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really really cool. And we, um, and I think so much of that is the the writing on Picard. I think it's uh-huh. just really well done. Um, but so much of that is just Jerry Ryan. I think she really cares a lot about this character and how it's how she per- is portrayed. Mm-hmm. And so I think she just probably spent a lot of time you know with that and that sort yeah. of development and you'll absolutely have to ask Sophia about this next week because no one loves seven of nine like Sophia loves seven of nine um she's I mean she it's 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 a joke in our friendship that she just asked me how how many minutes in this episode can I talk about seven of nine being gay um <laughs> or how many how how many minutes can I talk about seven of nine not wearing a bodysuit in this episode so <laughs> she she has a lot to say <laughs> um because I think Voyager, she watched Voyager a lot earlier than I did. So I okay. think Voyager for her is a little bit kind of TNG-ish, maybe. Oh, okay. I maybe yeah, yeah. That. No, that makes I maybe sense. Ma- misinterpreting that. But um, yeah, no, but she's been great in Picard. And I really like the juxtaposition of sort of the bringing of Picard and Seven together with this sort of shared experience of having been part of the Borg. And I yeah. think that's a really interesting dynamic. Speaking of Seven of Nine not wearing a bodysuit. Um, I know we talked about the uh, sometimes over-sexualization of uh, some of the female characters, but I really, I think one of the my favorite seven moments is in Voyager. She's at a terminal working, and this is where Q has the sun, and the sun pops in and, you know, snaps away, snaps away her clothes. And <laughs> she, she turns around with this stare and just looks at him of just like, see, you thought it was going to be sexual, but she kind of has just like turned it on its head of just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's such, it's such a, it's such a funny comedic, you know, in a, in a show that is in dire need of a comedian or two to be on the writing staff. That was such a funny, you know, switch of, Okay, he's got the power. No, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's seven of nine. She does not yeah. care at all. <laughs> you picked the wrong person. Yeah, she you doesn't picked care. the wrong person. Yeah. And uh, oh, that's so funny. And um, yeah, and I I just I, you know, one of the things I usually ask people, and um uh by the time this is loaded up, um our episode where we did our fantasy draft. Are you familiar with fantasy sports? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We did a star Trek fantasy draft where oh. we had uh, some frequent guests who have been on, you know, more than once. 
come in and we did a zoom with all of us and we went through a draft and we drafted our, we drafted our, our crew. And so I put up the whole big list of all the characters and it was interesting to see the combinations as people were going through their picks of like, okay, well, I'm going to pick this person because they're a really strong character. They have a lot of skills, blah, blah, blah. And then the next person who they would likely pick to go with them gets picked by somebody else. So now they have to scramble to find somebody else that they think that character would, would work well with on a ship. And um, it was a lot of fun to see the different combinations. I forget where Seven ended up, but I know she got drafted. Let me, let me see if I can pull her up right quick. The roster's here. Um, who got Seven of Nine? Okay, so um, Miles drafted Seven um, with a captain of Catherine Janeway. Mm-hmm. Um, first officer Beckett Mariner from Lower Decks, uh, Doc Flocks as the doctor. Uh, we got Miles O'Brien as the engineer, Cleveland Booker from Discovery uh, as the helmsman, uh, Jadzia Dax from Deep Space Nine is security and tactical, and Seven of Nine is on uh, Navcom. So at, that was an interesting little combination there. And we're yeah, gonna, that's interesting. Yeah, that was a that was a lot of fun. I think I'm actually going to integrate um, the fantasy draft uh, episode as a regular reoccurring thing between seasons of the podcast as sort of like a little bonus. And uh, we may end up doing a uh, we may end up doing a uh, a tournament type scenario. Oh. So if you or Sophia are interested. We're probably interested. I'm going to speak for myself. I'm interested. And that sounds like so much fun. It was an absolute blast, especially, I mean, cause don't get me wrong. I love the one-on-one conversations. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I structured the show to be the one-on-one conversation between two trekkers. Um, but having, you know, four regular, you know, familiar guests on one big room and we're all involved in this game was a lot yeah. of fun. So, yeah. Um, Anyways, so we talked about Where's Beverly, uh, the Where's Beverly podcast. Where can people find the Where's Beverly podcast? Well, Todd, you can find the Where's Beverly podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, Spreaker. Um, You can also find us on Instagram at Where's Bev, on Twitter at Where's Beverly. Or you can send us an email. Please send us email. We want any and all emails, suggestions, comments, questions, pictures of squirrels, uh, Stargate <laughs> fan fiction recommendations. Yes. We really don't care. We want your emails. And that's wheresbeverly at gmail.com. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in Ted Ford.
free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcast at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. Our outro music was provided with permission by Drone Node. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And I'm Cat Davis at that.darn.cat with a K on Instagram. The Computer Resume Podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We've probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold? More fish for Clinton. <laughs>